Welcome to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Over the next hour, Deborah, Tracy, and their guests will help you understand therapist burnout and how to feel better now. Listen close to bring vitality back to your practice. Now, here are Deborah and Tracy. Welcome to Reconceive. I'm Deborah. And I'm Tracy. And today we're talking with a dance therapist. That's right. We're going to talk about dancing and moving today. So, um, yeah, Tracy and I have been thinking about dancing and moving for quite a while. And knowing that it is therapy, that dance is therapy. In fact, I think you told me that. Dance is therapy. Movement is therapy. I have used movement to help my mental health Mm -hmm. and my general health in very effective ways over the past couple of years. I've learned more and more about how being more embodied just makes me feel better in every way, basically. And you've taught me so much about that. Over the last couple of years, it's really become evident to me um, that moving in an intentional way creates more knowing, just lots more knowing and connectedness and in-the-moment awareness, which is a brain upgrade, right? It's a brain upgrade. It gives you a bigger, more complete self-image. Yeah. And the thing that I found most beneficial was it 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 took up real estate in my brain that was being used for ruminations and negative self-talk. So as I built a bigger self-image within myself, making and I'm I'm using the words of Anat Banyal and Moshe Feldenkrais, using movement to create a a better map of my body within my brain Mm -hmm. reduced psychosis and in Stephen Porges's book about the transformative power of feeling safe he talks about how your brain is a self-organizing structure I can't remember his exact words And when you use your brain to really understand and feel your body, then the self-organization happens in a much healthier way that provides you with vitality and potency Mm -hmm. and reduces the available real estate within your brain for ruminations, negative self-talk, and what he describes as psychosis. Oh, wow. Which psychosis could be a lot of things, I guess, in that context. Yes. It could be negative ruminating thoughts about myself. It could be um, b- beliefs that I can't do things, or it could be even beliefs about inherent illness. Yes. And that the, the two things I noticed the most was I basically eliminated negative self-talk and negative ruminations mm-hmm. from my life by becoming more embodied by using movement to upgrade my brain. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm a big advocate and fan of movement as a way to heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
So let's introduce our guest. We have with us today Elizabeth Austin, um, who is a colleague of ours in St. Louis. She's a psychotherapist and she is a dance therapist, right? Welcome, Elizabeth. Hi, thank you for having me. So happy you're here. What do you prefer to be identified as? Do you call yourself a dance therapist? Um, yes. Uh, so I am by license. I'm a licensed professional counselor in Missouri and, and LCPC in Kansas. And I am a board certified dance movement therapist. So a lot of the references will be uh, DMT. DMT, right. Yeah. So that means you had to train both as a mental health counselor, but also you had to do additional training as a as a dance movement therapist. Yes. Um, so there are two ways to become a dance movement therapist in the United States. Um, you can go to a university that offers dance movement therapy as a master's degree. Um, and the way that I did was called the alternate route, which is I have a master's degree in some type of helping profession. And then I do all of my course training um, outside of a university setting. So that could be with various organizations and professors who do things. There are some organizations that have a complete program, um, maybe working in cohorts or maybe having, you know, kind of the, the same group um, either within that cohort or everybody's just kind of on the same pace. Um, but kind of doing it a little bit more on your, on your own time, as opposed to, uh, having to pick up and move to one of the few universities in the United States that offers dance movement therapy as a master's course. So, um, oh, okay. Okay. I decided that I didn't want to move. And so I got <laughs> a master's degree. And, um, after my first year of my master's degree, uh, I went down to doing courses in the spring and in the fall. And then every summer I would go to Rochester, New York and uh, take courses in dance movement therapy. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was, wow. even though um, being a dance movement therapist in the United States is a credential, it definitely felt like a more intensive master's program than the one that I was in for sure. I bet. And the combination of those things and the fact that you were going and doing extra coursework in the summer really made it intense. It was very intense. Um, I ultimately am so happy for it. And it really enhanced my, my master's program in professional counseling. Um, it gave me access and insight to information and theories and just resources that I, I never would have known about had I not been doing that at the same time. And so I, I feel really grateful that I was doing that. At the same time, um, I lucked out that I have a very supportive partner who was, uh, you know, very understanding of my desire. Um, and, you know, that goal of, of becoming a board certified dance movement therapist uh, was just that underlying that kept me going. Cool. That's really cool. Well, so I want to find out, did you come into this because you were already a dancer or did you just think this would be good to add. Um, so 
Yes and no. So I uh, was talking with my therapist one day and I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. And I've danced um, since I was little. Uh, I started with gymnastics and rhythmic gymnastics and then um, started going into dance and just really fell in love with it. And one of those things of if someone will teach me something, I don't care if it is African gun boot dancing. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care if it's tap. I don't care if it's, you know, something I've never heard of. I want to learn it. I want to do it. I want to experience it. And so she asked me, well, what would you be willing to do every day for the rest of your life? And I said, well, I'd be willing to dance every day for the rest of it. That sounds like you. And I I lucked out that uh, my therapist is a Jungian analyst and so knew about authentic movement and Mary Whitehouse. And she said, I think you should check this out. And I went, oh, well, that seems like what I'm supposed to do. And so I looked into, okay, how do I become a dance movement therapist? And um, one of those ways is the alternate route. So I actually started um, my master's degree in professional counseling as a, oh, this is just something I have to do to become a dance movement therapist. Uh, That was the, (laughs) ironically, the master's degree was like the gift with purchase of my dance movement therapy. but yeah, that's that's how I got into it. And um, it's just been continually reminding me of this is where I'm supposed to be. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, so affirming. So you said authentic movement? Yes. What is um, that? So within the dance therapy uh community or you know it feels actually limiting to say community history and all of that um there are various people who have had their own theories of dance movement therapy their own approaches to it and so Mm -hmm. authentic movement is one that will be more commonly seen um less in like psychosis or schizophrenia or things like that, maybe more by um, a lay person um, coming in and doing, doing movement therapy. Um, There's a lot more, I don't want to say freedom because there can be a lot of freedom in all forms of dance therapy. Um, There might, uh, one of the key components of authentic movement is witnessing. So, uh, me as the therapist is also acts as a witness and it's not just about that person's experience it's also about my experience of experiencing that person um, and various various ways of being able to access and support and um, very often you will find those who do authentic movement might not do it with music they might be you know doing movements with their eyes closed and just following uh, body impulses and things like that. Oh, interesting. So many theories of dance. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, this is a a world that I don't know very much about, but um, I'm I'm wondering, so so you said that you danced as a child and, um, and that was sort of in your mind when you were thinking about how do you want to 
move forward and use your your um, training and counseling. Um, but I, I've been also wondering, like, what does a session look like? What is it? What does it typically include? And I'm wondering if we lost you, Beth. It looks like we've kind of frozen up for a moment. We'll. Oh, there you are. There you are. You are. Hi. Well, that I thought she's see. not moving much for a day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you if you were hearing me, but um, I was just wondering about a typical session. Who who's there? Who are you working with? And what are you doing? And where are you? Oh, wow. Okay. So I will preface this with my typical session might not look like uh, the next dance movement therapist next to me, typical session, in part because you can find dance therapy being used in so many ways, in so many places, whether it's in hospital settings, inpatient residential treatment, uh-huh. whether outpatient, whether it is in groups and in individual sessions. Uh, there are dance movement therapists that work with um, infants or even, you know, with uh, uh, pregnant people. Um, mm-hmm. There are dance movement therapists that work with uh, the elderly, whether it is, you know, in a nursing home or assisted living facility or okay. in hospital. Um, there are dance movement therapists that work with kids with cancer and people with Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, oh. uh, um, addiction, eating disorders. Uh, there are so many people doing so many different things. Um, wow. and so depending on the dance movement therapist, uh, almost all of us will also say, depending upon who the client is and what we're working on and what we're doing. So a dance movement therapy session might look like a lot of movement. Mm-hmm. It might look like very little movement. It mm-hmm. might include props such as scarves or body bands, which are these wonderful, huge elastic uh, bands that can oh, yeah, your entire body and yeah. around you. Uh-huh. Um, it might include parachutes or balls <laughs> or any number of ribbons, any number of things. So uh, it might include art and might include writing as well. And so... Ooh. Uh, depending upon who my client is that day or what the group is that day. And also what, what did I walk into? Um, What came through my door? And Mm -hmm. so there have been moments where I think, Hey, I think we're going to work on this. or we're going to build on this from last week and someone walks in or I walk into a group and that is not what we were doing that day because Mm -hmm the needs of that moment are going to dictate. So uh, being able to have a lot of curiosity, a lot of flexibility um, is pretty integral to whatever session I'm doing. Um, And also a lot of awareness of what's going on within me. Um, Empathy is a big part of that decision-making process of, what is it that I'm feeling? What is my body doing in response to what's going on around me? What's going yeah. on in me? And how do I show up for that? Not just for the client or for the group, but also for myself. So I can be the caregiving individual that 
hopefully this person needs. I can't always meet that need, um, but definitely what I need in that yeah. moment. Because if my needs aren't getting met, there is absolutely no way I'm going to be effective in that session. That's wonderful. Yeah, we've talked about that a lot, especially after reading um, Gene Baker Miller Mm -hmm. talk about how if if everybody isn't benefiting, then nobody is benefiting. Mm -hmm. So even though it sounded like heresy when we first said it, we we think it's a beautiful idea. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, I love talking to my clients about, you know, that idea of selfishness. And I don't know where I got it from, but I, I use this a lot with them of selfishness is putting my wants above another person's needs, whereas self-preservation is putting my needs above another person's wants. And so it's not only self-preserving for myself um, as a person, but also as a clinician, um, also as a support uh, in my community and, being able to do that, I mean, that's, we're all in relationship to each other. So me taking care of myself might be the greatest gift I can give to those around me, including my clients. Does that mean that if you show up to your office one day and you feel like moving very expansively or you feel like moving in some other very specific way, that maybe you take that as a as a lead to, to sort of prompt you for what needs to happen? Sometimes. Um, sometimes it will be that when I'm going into my office or um, on occasion when I'm doing virtual sessions from home, giving myself that time beforehand to engage in a movement practice, give myself that time to where is my body mm-hmm. at, what are my energy levels, mm-hmm. um, what is the support that I need to maybe release into or uh, supplement? You know, is it something where I need an extra pillow that day? Or maybe, hey, this this room is a little bit chilly or a little bit warm. What are the things that help me with that? And also, you know, reminding myself of the supports that are always around me, right? Gravity does not take a break. So, Gravity is going to be there. Can I release into it? Um, my breath is always there because I'm alive. Can I connect with it? And when I'm connected to myself, it gives me a much more accurate and much more effective guide in connecting with the person in front of me or with the people mm-hmm. in front of me. So gravity and breath as resources, as supports, I think before I started working with Tracy, I would not have had a shelf on which to put the idea of gravity as a, as a support or breath as a, would just be, well, of course I'm breathing. What do you mean? Right. (laughs) (laughs) And that body else says gravity is our first teacher, you know, once we're out of the womb. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That you know, when Deborah and I started doing co-therapy, one of our our catchphrases is your session begins before you arrive. And what you're describing about taking care of your needs is you know, I always do that. Sometimes getting ready for a session takes longer than the session, but it's so important for when we get together before the client arrives, we make sure 
that we are ready, whatever that means. Yeah. And sometimes you don't know what you're getting ready for, which is also incredibly important. Uh Whatever comes in, I'm going to, I'm going to trust myself that I'm going to be able to show up and be present for it. Exactly. Otherwise you fall back on learned behaviors or recipes. And then at that point, everything is kind of in a way dull. Mm. Dull is the word that comes to mind. Oh yeah. Relying on rote memorization of something versus just really being here and letting this moment guide. Right. And movement is one of the best ways to do that is be come home to your body. Yeah. So do you do you have a studio? What what is your office like? Is is it like a dance studio? Um that is my dream. I would love it to be like a dance studio. Uh right now um I both have a private practice and I also work as a contract therapist at an eating disorder treatment center. And oh. so when I am able to do groups at the treatment center there's usually uh, a bit more space um, to do those things Um, my office is kind of dual purpose because I have a fantastic office mate David who I love we went to grad school together and we have been office mates since uh, we graduated and I look out because he lets me do whatever I want with the office (laughs) so yep there are musical instruments there are scarves there are you know there's a rain stick there are various things that might be used um and there is space. So there are some pillows that can be on the floor, yoga mat, depending upon what uh, helps the client in that moment. Um, uh-huh. Sometimes it is a weighted blanket. Uh, sometimes it is sensory things where, you know, maybe having a bowl and whether it's red or black beans or lentils or things that allow for that sensation and focus sensation of the body, especially for people who maybe it's a little scary to really focus on what's going on within their body and really tune into that interoception. Um, Maybe they need a little bit more proprioception to gain that awareness and that safety of, yeah, being in and being with my body, it's okay. And sometimes that is done in in baby steps. So I have a lot of tools in my office and depending upon um, the client, some of them, their movement is going to come from utilizing some art supplies because that art creates a bit of a buffer. Um, So it can come in really various forms. And uh, I, uh, I really enjoy like finding all of the different things that help me do that, whether that's a new fidget or new whatever that can give an opportunity of awareness and connectivity. Well, you need a big space. (laughs) That is the, that is the goal someday is, is having, having a, um, uh, also a larger space to, to, be able to do more groups and do groups of various sizes and things like that. So that's on the horizon. Um, that's in the works. I'm picturing me in grade school when we all well, we gather around the big parachute. Oh, the parachute. That was yeah. such fun. Everybody I under. Know when we can use the parachute, that's, I love <laughs> it. The parachute love it. is good for so many things. 
Oh, I never liked that day in PE when we got the parachute. I don't know why I didn't, I didn't like it. Mm. What, yeah. What does that say? You used a couple of words I want to come back to. Yes. Um, you, you used the word interoception and the word proprioception. Yes. What are those? What do they mean? Yes. So interoception and proprioception. Um, remember when you were a little kid and they were like, you have five senses. We have so many more than five senses. So when we think about sensation, um, if you place your hand on your chest or if you just think about your heart beating and that feeling of your heart beating, that's ex- an example of interoception. So it's the communication of what's going on within my body. And our, you know, we often separate the brain and the body, but the brain is part of the body, right? And there is information coming back and forth all the time. And so the stuff that's going on within my body is going to be that interoception piece. So how fast am I breathing? How is my heart beating? The blood flow that's going through. Does my, does, did I stub my toe and I felt some nerve pain, right? So all of that information is going on and it's something that we can tap into. And then proprioception is our sensation of where we are in space. So is my body, like, is my arm above my head? Um, Am I, if you've ever walked past something and you're like, oh, I'm really close to this table edge, right? That is your proprioception giving you information. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting about our body in space, and especially like with touch, is that we don't just have the sensation of touch. We have the sensation of being touched, of touching something else. Um, Our body is more amazing than we could ever give it credit for, for all the ways that it takes in information, synthesizes it, metabolizes it, and helps us exist in the world in a way that can be really wonderful and fulfilling and symbiotic with everything around us. That is so beautiful. So we're going to take a break in a moment here. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about what you just said, all the various ways in which my body sends and receives information and helps me integrate my experience of the world. Okay. We'll be back in a few. takes a toll on your effectiveness with clients, patients, and students, even your kids. Reconceive brings help for all the gifted helpers out there who want to make a difference, but first need to feel better, more awake, and more creative. Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield show you a whole new way to think about mental health and the body, offering insight and inspiration to help bring back the vibrancy and joy to your work in the world. If you teach, do therapy, or provide any kind of human service, it's time to reconceive. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Check out all our other episodes on demand. Now back to Reconceive. Welcome back to Reconceive. We are here today with our guest, Beth or Elizabeth Austin, um, who is a dance and movement therapist 
in St. Louis, Missouri. And we were just talking about kind of how you work. And we were talking about the the complex interplay of information in the body and around the body that we are processing all the time. And so I wanted to come back and talk a little bit about the mechanism of change. So, you know, depending on whatever theoretical orientation a, a mental health person or any kind of therapist takes on, they can tell you how change happens usually. I mean, I think I think good training helps us with this. Not everybody maybe talks about these kinds of things, but I like to think about what is the mechanism of change? What carries us into something different when we come in as clients and we're needing change? So if you had to speak to that, what what does create change in dance and movement therapy? The first word that comes to my mind is integration. Um, being able to integrate not just our emotions, right? Which every emotion that we have also happens on a somatic level. Uh, being able to integrate our belief systems, our um our capacities are the things that we have agency to um, and have access to. Um, the scaffolding for agency begins really early. We can see that, you know, if you look at a baby or a little kid or, you know, I love watching my niece Logan. And every time I see her in a way, she's a completely different person because she has learn something new or experience something new, or um, she's finding different ways to exist. Um, she's almost two. She'll be two in April. And we have that throughout our life, right? Our brain doesn't grow at the same rate as we do between the ages of zero and three, right? That time period, our brain, grow- our brain grows faster than any other time in our life. And our brains, that term of neuroplasticity, right? Of our brains being plastic, of there can be constant change. So one of the things with dance movement therapy is the more ways I am able to move, the more options I have, the more ways of being I can have in this in my space, in someone else's space, in relation to other people and and other things too right plants animals uh sometimes even systems and being able to relate and also know that those relationships can change so our relationship to our body can change our relationship to our memories to other people and so much of that gets facilitated with being able to be in and with our body, with our awareness with that, being able to, and sometimes destigmatize or unlearn um, patterns, maybe survival patterns that worked so well for us when we were young and didn't have those choices, right? As a five-year-old, I have very different choices because my survival is so dependent on everybody else around me. And that did a great job of keeping me alive when I was five, but yeah. I'm not alive anymore. So what other options do I have? 
what do I feel like I have access to? Am I willing to try? Um, That's one of the things I love about watching my niece is she will try all kinds of different things. She can fall down and she will get back up and she will try again. Right. And I think especially uh, in our culture and while it's changing, it's I hope it changes a little bit more quickly of, yeah, we can fail. We can try and it cannot work out. We can try and it can be like, oh, I hated that. And I got through it. So, yeah, I'm going to try something else or I'm going to try again and I'm going to see what works for me. So do I need to allow my body to be a little looser? Do I hold my body really tight all the time and all of my energy is going into guarding myself? What is it like to exist if I can exhale or breathe a little bit more deeply or if I can feel my muscles relax or feel that supportive gravity? What is it like if instead of stomping around the world, I can walk around very lightly? Um, What happens if I go in a very direct motion versus if I go in a very indirect motion? Can I adjust my flow or is everything really even? And all of these terms, you can find these terms with um, Laban movement analysis or Kestenberg movement profile and these different areas of how do we qualify movement? And we can see this in everyone, right? We can see it, different rhythms, different um, connection, different pieces all over the globe. And while, you know, one of the things with Laban is that it's very Eurocentric. Um, And so it's also that consideration of everybody around the world has bodies. If you go to Namibia, if you go to Australia, if you go to Tanzania, if you go to Haiti, if you go to um, any of the Polynesian islands, how do they move? How do they relate? Um, Mm -hmm. And also the other word that comes to my mind is you know, just the process of going through life, right? How do we celebrate, right? If you've ever had a potty dance, if you've ever had a, (laughs) oh my gosh, I have this ice cream and it's delicious dance. If you've ever had a, wow, I'm seeing this person that I love and I haven't seen them for a while. I know for so many people with the pandemic, that first time that they got to reunite with their grandparents or their classmates or whomever, And how do I hold space for all of that and welcome it? It's not my enemy. It's information. Uh It's information about me. It's information about what's around me. And being able not only to tolerate that, which in some cases, yeah, 100%, it's tolerating. You don't have to like it. You don't have to like feeling angry or sad or frustrated Uh and knowing that I'm going to be angry and sad and frustrated sometimes. So how do I handle that? How do I let myself feel it and express it? How do I respond to others when they're doing it? And we can do so much of that, so much more of that, build our window of tolerance, build our ability to be present, um, build our ability to exist in a more sustainable and adaptive way, especially Mm -hmm. from integration. Wow. Oh, I have so many thoughts about what you just said. But it sounds like if I were just going to do kind of an 
overall summary, I think you're saying learning to let our bodies teach us about ourselves in the world. Yes. Because it sounds like there's just so much information that's available there. Yes. That maybe we just, we have not learned to attend to. Yes. And I, I love that you said you take sometimes have to take baby steps with your client patient uh, because you know Stephen Porges talks about how trauma creates a numbing effect mm-hmm. of your whole body, and then Anat Banyal and Moshe Feldenkrais talk about how trauma causes you to be less differentiated. So the human body becomes more block-like after trauma. Mm -hmm. So you can, with movement and dance and all the other things you add in, can slowly remove some of that numbing and allow people to become more differentiated, allow new information to go to their brains from their felt sense. That new information equals new possibilities. I mean, it's just... Uh, imagining it just sounds so beautiful. It really is. Um, I often, you know, one of the things that I talk to my clients about is that the number one thing our body wants to do is survive. And it's going to do the best it can with what it has available. Uh And so if I know that what my body wants to do is survive, right? And my brain is working so hard to do that. What am I noticing about the effectiveness of that or the quality of that? What are the impacts of these decisions and choices? Where am I getting that information? And luckily, I don't have to tell my brain to make my heart beat. I don't have to tell my brain to breathe. I don't have to tell my circulatory system to be doing its thing. I don't have to tell my white blood cells, hey, you should really get to work now. Like I don't have to consciously do that. Mm -hmm. And there's this intersection of the things that are autonomic and the things that are conscious and explicit, right? We know now we have, uh, we have the ability. Science has caught up a little bit, not completely, but science is catching up to, oh, this is what's going on in the brain and the body. This is how it's working together. This is how information is processed. This is how um, all of these intricate little pieces that we're still finding out, right? We haven't discovered everything that's going on in the body. We are continuing to make discoveries about what's there and how it works and what it does. And also we are the bodies. We are the bodies. Right? So what if we have another way of relating, of acknowledging, of holding space, of being in the space? Yeah. And I mean, that's part of what I love about my work is in a way it's very universal, uh-huh. even if it is going to look different moment to moment just like everything else in life. Yeah. New ways of being in this space reminds me of conversations that Tracy and I have had, even on the show, about 
moment to moment in a therapy session, asking ourselves, how can I be a little more comfortable? Which is a question that you hear in in guided meditations sometimes. How can I make my body just a little more comfortable? Where can I relax just a little bit more right now? Yeah. So so I also wanted to kind of um, follow up on something that we talked about before we opened the show today about our backgrounds and discovering you and I that we have some things in common. And so you're, you're talking about, you know, how dance and movement changes us or changes the clients. And you mentioned belief systems, you mentioned agency, and you mentioned survival patterns. And all of those things, I think, really connect to childhood, right? And, and how we're brought up, how we're brought up to think about ourselves and to move our bodies or not. Um, so... So I was telling you that um, that I was raised in a, a very fundamentalist, um, very strict Christian environment that did not allow dance. It, it considered dance to be the pathway to the devil's workshop. So it would lead to all kinds of things. And then, and then you said you you had a similar childhood experience. <laughs> yes, yes, um, I often think about, uh, not often, I've worked on it in therapy, um, <laughs> think about kind of the sacrifice that my, that my mom made. My grandfather was a Baptist minister. And so, you know, she was able to see that uh, my energy had to go somewhere. And so started me in gymnastics and I ended up in dance and I fell in love with it. And it was a place where I was able to have access to things that I never would have had access to. And uh, when I was little, my grandmother cried to take me out of ballet because she didn't want me to become a prostitute. I was fine. So (laughs) I should not have been like the worry at that moment. But the Um, connection of dance. And prostitution. Yes. Yes. And being able to acknowledge that what my grandmother had was this, this trauma of fear of her own body, fear of her Uh, being. Yeah. And even though my mom wasn't able to do that, you know, she was not in dance classes. She wasn't doing those things there was that kind of shielding and protection for me. Mm-hmm. And so, nope, I wasn't allowed to say I went to prom. I wasn't, you know, I couldn't be saying all the things that I was doing or the performances or anything like that. And I had this opportunity to have a very different relationship with my body yeah. than I did if I was told, nope, don't dance no, whatever moving to the rhythm, which we do all the time, mm-hmm. right? I don't know very many people who can listen to a song and not tap their foot to the beat mm-hmm. or maybe hear the rhythm in construction crews doing work or anything. Mm-hmm. Like the, the windshield wipers in the rain. <laughs> yes. Yes. And the sooner we have access to that, the more it's just kind of, accessible throughout our lives. Yeah. 
So especially for people who haven't had that access, um, that's one of the areas that I've really noticed there can be a lot more difficulty with not just the actual act of feeling an individual's body and feeling, you know, noticing, naming, acknowledging, and accepting sensations. But also maybe that willingness, right? We may have to get over that fear or acknowledge that there's a narrative there. What is that narrative telling me? And maybe what is that narrative keeping me from? Yeah. And maybe that kept me safe when I was little. Maybe that was necessary. That might not be necessary anymore. So if I'm going to have this body, I would really like to be friends with it. I would really like to appreciate it. I would really like to work with it as opposed to against it. And being able to exist in a world where you know, nothing's perfect. We're all going to go through hard stuff there. Uh, I don't know, looking around at the world, it is hard. It is hard to be alive. Things it is definitely hard to be a human right now. I think so. Yeah. And especially hard to be an authentic human. So why not have our whole self on our side? Yeah. I really love how you said um, uh, about your grandmother that she had this trauma, which was fear of her own body. That really lands in a very profound way for me because I think that I have lived with that trauma really for my whole life. I'm just beginning to unlearn that fear of my own body. So, you know, as a therapist who, you know, sits in chairs um, most of the week, uh, to to unlearn the fear of my own body might mean to learn to break some rules by by moving differently or getting up and moving around at all yeah. in a therapy session where I'm supposed to be still. And and so I'm just I'm kind of thinking about our listeners now and what um, kinds of backgrounds they may have. Maybe they've been trained traditionally, and and maybe they they didn't grow up Baptist or whatever, you know, and so they didn't have those same kinds of traumatic experiences that we had with regard to the body. But but maybe they were just traditionally trained, and they just sit still, um, and they think that they're supposed to sit still. How? How can we as therapists begin to change and move in in the direction of what you're doing, even if we don't have a dance background or we haven't, you know, trained in dance therapy? Is there something we can do? Oh, for sure. I mean, so many, so many pieces, uh, so many, um, you know, one of the things I love working with clients on is you know, they might be in session and be like, okay, cool, but this is session. Like, how do I take this outside of it? Um, being able to do things that don't necessarily need tools um, other than yourself, right? So even just that awareness of your body, that awareness of what's going on, um, what's happening. Do I feel a little stiff in some area and do I need to move? Do I need to shift my weight? Um, do I need to maybe set my pen down if you're taking notes and let your hands stretch out? Is it... Um, 
allowing yourself to bring yourself back to your body. For some people, that might be the breath. Breath can be really triggering, especially for trauma. So if it is a person that has a trauma history, Mm -hmm. bringing themselves to their breath might actually get in the way of the session. So even being able to notice, okay, uh, what's my big toe doing on my left foot? How's it feeling, right? Mm. That does two things. It brings us back to the here and now. And the other thing is it's going to interrupt whatever thought is coming in because that is the farthest a neuron has to travel to go all the way down and all the way back up. And while, yes, that happens so quickly and it gives a little bit of that break, right? Okay. There are moments where I might be noticing that a client is really holding themselves and I'm realizing, oh my gosh, I'm doing it too. Yeah. Let's take a break. Let's just stretch for a second, right? I might be modeling to give my client permission to do something and fulfilling one of my own needs as well. It can even be, hey, I'm noticing that there's a lot of tension. Do you feel that tension too? I've had clients who are like, nah, that that's just you. And there's a, like, okay, noted. I will attend to that later. And then, hey, I'm going to put an extra pillow behind my back, or I'm going to take an extra minute and let myself lay on the floor and just feel that pressure or that push, right? So there are lots of things that we can do during session. There are also things that we can do in between. We might push against a wall. We might find some type of sensory, like a fidget or a stress ball or something else and get those sensations. Maybe it is tuning in a little bit. Um, Am I feeling a certain type of way? Is my body really tired? Because I said, yes, Netflix, I am still watching. And I kept watching (laughs) the pet, right? Mm -hmm. So being able to be really curious about our body and then how can I respond? And some of it might be playing with it, right? It might be staying a couple of extra minutes at your office and doing something as a transition. Maybe it's just stretching a little bit. Maybe it is putting on a song and dancing around or just moving to the beat. Maybe it is putting on something and writing a little bit or drawing, right? your body is going to be doing those motions and your body is way more intelligent than we give it credit for, which is I, cause right. Our body's us Um, giving it the opportunity, the access to those things. So what promotes creativity, what promotes vitality? And that can be a question that is happening from the moment that you wake up to the Mm -hmm. moment that you go to bed. So maybe it is, uh, it's rainy. I don't want to go into my office. It's a hard day. I have a lot of sessions or I know that we're going to be talking about these really hard things. And maybe it is feeling that support of your bed underneath you and really gently waking up your body and just getting into maybe at the end of the day is what hasn't moved today. I've been sitting in this chair all day. (laughs) Maybe I need to stand for a little bit. Maybe I need to lie down. Maybe it's how have I moved today? If everything's been super frantic, maybe <laughs> slow it down a slow little. It down. Or yeah. maybe, oh my gosh, everything's been so slow. Maybe I want to shake things and maybe I want to um, speed things up a little bit. Right? Mm-hmm. So 
what allows us that connectivity and how do I want to use that information? And the reality is, if it's not causing harm to ourselves or to somebody else, there isn't really a wrong answer. Ooh, yeah. So, so my own movement therapy before work, it could begin in the morning when I'm first waking up. Yes. And I begin to ask those questions. What, what am I feeling in my body? How does my body want to move? Or, or at the end of the day, how, what has not moved? How do I need to move now? What has been stationary yeah. all day? And even getting that attuned to ourselves and our clients, this is something I teach my clients a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, if my brain didn't have a word for what I was feeling, how would I know I'm feeling this? Mm-hmm. I love that question. Is something tense? Is my heart beating fast? Um, is my breath shallow? Does my forehead hurt because it's been furrowed? What are all the pieces of information? And then I get to start paying a little bit more attention. What else is my body telling me? Yeah. And if I don't have words for it, maybe I draw it. Maybe I write it. Maybe I move it. Yeah. So I can exaggerate it, feel it a little bit more deeply and get yeah. to know it a little bit more. And that familiarity and that practice, yeah. that's mastery, right? And when we feel masterful of something, yeah, we have way more access to it. And we enjoy it more. Yes. Yay. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. This is also connected to play and to fun. And so thinking about the body differently might lead us to have a little bit more fun in the day, experiencing the body. So how can readers find you, listeners? Uh, So my website is effectivemovement.com. Um, I would love to say that I am all on social media. I have pages on Facebook and Instagram and things like that. And I'm working on being a little bit more present there, um, but all, all effective movement or effective move. Um, and yeah, please feel free. Uh, I will say I have ADHD. So sometimes that response is going to take a little <laughs> bit, but I do respond. Um, but also the American Dance Therapy Association. So ADTA.org is a great place to learn more about this work and what we do and maybe find a dance therapist near you. Thank you, Elizabeth Austin. Thank you. Thank you. See you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Reconceive. We hope you've learned something today you can use to reconnect and feel better. Tune in next week for more on transforming practice. Until then, have a great week.